This morning we are taking a break from our ongoing preaching series in the book of Mark uh, with a look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this morning we're looking particularly at kindness and goodness. Now in one sense it's really hard to separate out any of these fruit of the Spirit because they're so interconnected, they're so overlapping. But I think it's particularly hard to do it with kindness and goodness because they're so closely related to one another. You start talking about kindness, but you end up using some of the language and the words that unpack and explain goodness and vice versa. But for the sake of my message this morning, I'm going to try and focus in on some distinct ways that we might define and describe kindness and goodness individually. And I want to start with goodness. For me, goodness seems to contrast most directly with the list of negative behavior that Paul warns about in the previous verses. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Paul says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now, don't get me wrong, you can see how love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all completely counter to that list. But, you can group that whole negative list under one heading and you can call it evil. That's what that list is. And you can group the whole positive list of the fruit of the Spirit into one grouping called goodness. And those two things couldn't be more opposite. They're like two magnets opposing poles. They're so incompatible that they repel one another. And that really is the Apostle Paul's point here in this letter to the Galatians. On the one hand, he holds up the evil list, which he calls works of the flesh. And these are the things that our inbuilt human sinfulness leads us to do. And on the other hand, he holds up life in the Spirit. What's interesting is that he doesn't say that the good list is the works of the Spirit. Because that would make sense. You have the works of the flesh. It would make sense if you had the works of the Spirit. When he's talking about this good list, he says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. The goodness list isn't a list of actions. It's not a list of things you can do. It's a list of character traits, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
But whose character is it then? Whose character traits are those? Because we've already said that our human nature leads us to behave in line with the evil list. So where do these good things come from? Who do they belong to? The answer's in the name. You're already ahead of me, I imagine. These are the fruit of the Spirit. They come from and they belong to the very Spirit of God himself. And he is the very definition of goodness. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 18 verse 19 that no one is good except God alone. What that means, of course, is that no one is inherently good. No one is good through and through. No one is good to the very core of their being, except God himself. God alone sets the bar for goodness. He's the measure of goodness, the standard of goodness, and he's the source of all goodness. James 1:17. Whatever is good, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. The point I'm trying to make is that this fruit of the Spirit goodness here in Galatians 5 isn't the same as the goodness that we encounter in the world. It's not the same. Although all true goodness in the world is ultimately rooted and gifted by God... It is filtered through our human sinfulness. So it becomes twisted, distorted, and diluted to the point that it only bears a passing resemblance to the true goodness of God. And worse still, the way the world understands goodness isn't good. The way the world understands goodness is that it only finds its shape and definition in contrast to what the world thinks is evil. The only way you can understand what's good is if you understand what's evil. So if the world thinks it's evil to eat meat, drive petrol and diesel cars, or share your faith-based opinion with someone, then in order to show goodness, you shouldn't do those things. That's what the world thinks. That's what goodness looks like to the world. What this means is there's no objective standard of goodness in the world. It's defined by those who are in the majority, those who have the loudest voices, or those who have the most money. That's the way of the world. They get to decide what's right, wrong, good, bad. But that means the goalposts can be moved at any time. The definition can change. What was considered evil or bad yesterday might be considered perfectly fine and good today. And who knows how it might be considered tomorrow. That's why the world's in such a pickle and a muddle with things like sexuality, gender, identity. Because the goalposts of what goodness looks like are constantly shifting. But the goodness of God couldn't be more different. God is the objective standard of goodness 
Because as James 1.17 goes on to say, God never changes or even casts a shifting shadow. That image of a shadow that changes as the sun moves across the sky. God doesn't even do that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means that evil or bad then only finds its definition and shape in the fact that it goes against God's goodness. We know what's wrong, what's bad, what's evil because it doesn't look like God. It doesn't look like his character, his goodness. And God's been incredibly clear in his word about what his goodness looks like. Not only in his character, his commandments and correction to us, but in his attitude and in his actions towards us. And that leads us to look at our second fruit, the Spirit, kindness. Again, this fruit is sourced and rooted firmly in the character of God. And what we see is that God's kindness springs forth from his goodness. So I think a helpful way to define what goodness or what the kindness of God looks like is to say the kindness of God is the goodness of God outworked in the world. That's what God's kindness is. The goodness, the kindness of God is his goodness outworked in the world. Now this is a huge subject. Uh, There are huge theological books that I'm not clever enough to read that unpack the goodness and kindness of God in great detail. But I just want to focus now on three key elements of God's kindness. Mercy, grace, and patience. And I want us to see how God outworks these in the world in his kindness. And then I want us to see how he calls us to outwork them. So number one. God's mercy is his kindness and his goodness to those who are suffering. So when God in his kindness breaks into our situation and brings healing or deliverance or relief or provision, that is his goodness reacting to our suffering and outworking in his mercy towards us. Ultimately, we see this most powerfully and profoundly outworked when God, looking at a lost and hurting and broken and despairing world, had mercy on us by sending his son Jesus as our rescuer and redeemer, our suffering servant saviour, and our glorious conquering God King. Number two. God's grace is his goodness to those who don't deserve it. When God's goodness meets those who don't deserve it, he acts in grace. Not one of us in this room, in this town, in this nation, or in this world deserves any goodness from God. Any goodness, we don't deserve it. Romans 3, 10 to 12 says this, no one's righteous, not even one. No one's truly wise, no one is seeking God. All 
have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. The only thing we deserve from God is his just judgment and his righteous punishment. That is what his word tells us. As human beings who are sinful, that's what we deserve. But, but, Romans 3, 24 and 25 says this. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. We didn't deserve Jesus' sacrifice. I didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that. But because of God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor over you and over me, Jesus gave up his life by dying on the cross for each and every one of us. We didn't deserve that. God's goodness reached out to us, even though we didn't deserve it, and gave us his grace. Number three. God's patience is his goodness to those who reject his goodness. And this is true for all of us on an individual level. God is so patient with each of us as we mess up by failing to trust him in our lives, by refusing to be obedient to what he calls us to do, and by trying to do things in our own strength and in our own way. I want to tell you, as I look back over my life, and the mistakes that I've made, I often wondered, God, why, why am I still here? Why haven't you blinked me out of existence for my stupidity, for my foolishness? And the answer is because God is so patient with me. God is so patient with me. He forgives me again and again, and he shapes and molds me bit by bit slowly but progressively transforming me more and more into the likeness of Jesus. That's true for me. I'm sure it's true for you. But God is also patient with mankind as a whole. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No. He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. In his goodness, God is being patient towards a world that continually rejects him. A world that continually walks its own way and refuses to acknowledge his lordship over them. In his goodness, God doesn't want anyone to perish or die without turning away from their simple, sinful works of the flesh and accepting his offer of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life through Jesus. He doesn't want anyone to perish without doing that. So he's patient. Now God's goodness to those who reject it is outworked in his patience. That is true. 
But I want to share a little caution here because although God is patient, he won't wait forever. And we mustn't presume on the goodness of God because the goodness of God outworked in response to sin is justice. Talking about Jesus' return in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-8, we read, Jesus will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must not take the goodness of God for granted. Because in his kindness, God has outworked his goodness to the world already in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's goodness to those who are suffering. Jesus is God's goodness to those who don't deserve it. And Jesus is God's goodness even to those who outright reject it. So we've seen how only God is inherently good. We've seen how he sets the bar for goodness and is the source of all goodness. And we've looked at three key elements of God's kindness. Mercy, grace, and patience. And we've seen how they're all God's goodness outworked in the world. But it's not enough to know these things. Paul's expectation in Galatians 5 is that because God himself is present in you, through his Holy Spirit, you should be experiencing these things for yourself. You should be experiencing the goodness of God in your life. So we should be expectant that the Holy Spirit will be at work challenging us, changing us, and rewriting our sinful natures. Not just in helping us avoid the evil works of the flesh, but by infusing our character with the goodness and kindness of God himself. Can you see that? If God's spirit is in us and is all-powerful, then he can change our very natures to be more like him. For our part, we need to cultivate these character traits, these fruit of the spirit. We need to look for opportunities to exercise them. And I've got news for you. Not only do these traits come from God's own character, but we should expect them to operate in exactly the same way. God's goodness at work in us and outworked through us should take on the form of kindness in our own actions in the world. And that means God's goodness at work in us and through us looks like mercy to those who are suffering. Matthew 25, 34 to 40 says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. 
when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. If, like me, you've ever wondered what your calling is as a Christian, I can tell you, at a base level, it looks like two things. You are called to share the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And you are called to perform acts of mercy in his name. The the goodness of God within us provokes us, provokes us to acts of compassion and mercy when we see people who are suffering with sickness or because they're in need or because of their life situation. And when we show mercy to those who are suffering, we are displaying the very goodness of God himself. And not only that, but Jesus says that when we serve and bless them, it's as if we're serving and blessing him. What a joy. We get to live out God's character into the world around us. And at the same time, we get to bless Jesus. That makes me feel so happy and joyful when I consider. The least of the things I can do is show God's kindness and goodness in the world. And at the same time, I'm doing a mighty thing because I get to bless King Jesus. God's goodness at work in us and through us looks like grace to those who don't deserve it. Wow, didn't I ever have to chew through this when I was preparing this message. Luke 6, 27, 28, Jesus says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Wow. This is the kind of radical goodness that is only possible through the Spirit of God in us. I am not capable of this kind of goodness under my own steam. It's not in me to do it. But with God in me, at work, making me more like him, producing his character in me, I can. The grace of God, both towards us and through us, towards the world, is a game changer. It's completely counter to the way the world works, but it's central to the way God's kingdom works, and that means it's one of our most powerful evangelistic tools. Because when we show the goodness of God to someone who doesn't deserve it, we are physically demonstrating the spiritual reality of God's salvation and grace towards them. Do you see that? When we show in a physical way that wonderful, wonderful aspect of God's grace, we can point towards heaven and say, and God has done even greater for you. And finally, God's goodness at work in us and through us looks like patience to those who reject it. Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 
The goodness of God within us not only expects that we'll forgive others when they hurt us, but it enables us to go on doing so, to go on forgiving people. God is so supernaturally patient with us, and he calls us to be supernaturally patient with others. Not, please hear me, I'm not saying that we should act like a doormat so people can walk all over us. God doesn't have that for us. But in forgiving people fully and completely and in not holding grudges and harboring bitterness, we display the grace of God and the character of God. And most importantly, just as God has done for us, we need to be excellent at giving people fresh chances to turn around and behave in a different way. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And I want to end on this thought. You have not only the goodness of God, but the presence of God within you. So how can you show his kindness to someone else today? I want you to consider today, who could you show God's goodness through grace to? Who doesn't deserve it? Who could you show God's goodness through patience to? Who rejects it? Who could you show God's goodness through mercy to? Who is suffering? We have God at work in us. So we have the power of God to enable us to be merciful to be grace-filled and to be patient with others. And we can do that through his power. So I want to encourage you this morning. As we go out from here this afternoon, let us have in our minds, who can I show these things to? Who can I demonstrate God's glorious kingdom to in my actions and in my behavior? I want to finish on a couple of bits of scripture so that we can worship the God who is the definition of goodness and the personification of kindness. Why don't you stand with me as I read these verses? Psalm 31:19 says this of God. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. God is a God of abundant goodness, not just a little bit of goodness, and he has stored that up, ready to pour that out on us. Titus 3, 3 to 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and and hating one another. We were. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration 
and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm going to pray. King Jesus, I want to thank you for that glorious store of goodness that you have to pour out on us. I want to thank you that in your grace and your mercy, you have saved me and you have saved my brothers and sisters and you have brought us into eternal relationship with you. And my prayer this morning is that you shape us, that you produce those characteristics in us of mercy, of patience, of goodness and kindness, all those things that we've talked about this morning. Make us more like you, Jesus, as we go out from here. We want to give you the glory this morning because you alone are good and yet you love us and we are forever grateful and we praise your name.